Welcome to Transformative Principle. I am Jethro Jones. I'm back hosting uh, Transformative Principle uh, for this episode and probably for a couple more before you heard this one. Uh, Today we're talking with Shelly Groves, who has been an educator for 25 years. She started teaching math and now she oversees curriculum as assistant superintendent at a CTE planning district that serves 16 schools. Shelly, welcome to Transformative Principle. Happy to have you here. Thank you. Excited to be here. Going to have some good conversations. Uh, We sure are. Now, we need to talk first about this thing called a CTE planning district. What does that even mean? So in Ohio, um, career technical education can be delivered several different ways, one of which um, is to be a part of a career technical planning district. In our case, 16 school districts over 700 square miles came together and said, hey, economies of scale, we can have one really exceptional opportunity for students to experience career technical education. So let's kind of pour pour into this one district that will serve the 16 of us. Um, So we do have two campuses, um, one in Fairfield County, one in um, Franklin County in Ohio, again, serve 16 districts. We average about 15 to 1600 students, only juniors and seniors. Um, so these students are kind of moving out of the career exploration and really into the workforce development part. They know what they want to do. Um, basically we're considered a school of choice. Students do apply to come to our school. They are not required to be here. It is an option. Um, so do a lot, do a lot of community services within those 16 school districts, getting our name out there and letting students know the opportunities they have, have with us. So Yeah, that's a really interesting model that kids can choose to come with you. And over 700 square miles, I mean, what is it end-to-end, though? Like, how far do kids have to travel for this? Some schools, um, some students have to travel. I would say it's a good one-hour bus drive for them. Um, We skirt around. If you know Ohio, Columbus is kind of in the center, and we serve around that, (laughs) if that makes sense, the southeastern portion. Okay, of of that uh, of that area, but yeah, some of them have quite the lengthy bus ride, uh, maybe a couple of stops to get here, um, which then shows even more their desire to study what they're passionate about. They what they want to get here, and so um, again, we have amazing students' bodies. I also think it's a courageous choice they make to come here. Again, when you have to ride the bus for an hour and you're stepping out of a school district that you've known for twelve years, and you're coming to a brand new school can be a little intimidating. So I kudos to those students that make that choice. Yeah. And high school is that time where like what I've heard my whole life is you never want to move during high school because your kids are going to be losing their minds. And yet these kids are choosing to do that. You will traumatize them if you move to a different school district during the junior or senior year. Um, So yes, we say in Ohio, we hear a lot that students are either running away from something when they make the choice for career tech or they're running towards something. Um, so we really like to be the option that they're running towards, not necessarily running away from something. Yeah, no kidding. That's <laughs> that's important. Students also in Ohio are required to have work-based learning experiences. Can you tell us a little bit about that as well? Yeah. Uh, in terms of career technical education, part of the compliance that comes along with that because there is funding that comes with career technical education, Perkins funding. Um, And one of our compliance buckets is work-based learning opportunities. 
Um, that can be everything from it. General definition is they are getting real world experience. They're they're doing the job, whether it be in a school based enterprise model. They're actually leaving during the school day and going onto the job site, working with business partners, entrepreneurships, um, starting their own business. Um, even internships, externships, apprenticeships, all of that falls under the work-based learning. Um, and for compliance, um, each program is supposed to have a certain percentage to meet that, that threshold. It is relatively new in the state of Ohio, so we're still in a hold harmless state. But as for our district, our planning district, we are sitting at about, I wanna say 11% of our students are getting those experiences and that's seniors because they're coming junior year, getting their training, and then senior year, getting out to do some some really cool stuff on the job sites. So Yeah, I, I think that's really cool. And I love the idea of giving kids real-world opportunities, as mm-hmm. um, I have mentioned, and you've probably heard if you're listening to the podcast at the end of each episode, it tells you the name of our editor, who is a student at uh, the Catalyst Center, which is similar to the model that you're running in Davis County. And I just think it's so cool to give kids real opportunities to do things. And, you know, this is, this podcast is now my livelihood since I'm not a principal anymore. And uh, you got to have a lot of trust to have high school students work on something that, you know, Mm -hmm. contributes to your life. And so it's not, uh, it's not a small thing for, for kids to do something. I, I always advocated for this when I was a principal and then, um, I, I knew I needed to put my money where my mouth was when I uh, when I went out on my own to have my own business and uh, it takes it takes trust from the community as well and the businesses that you partner with for them to have someone come in and and do things and like it it's one thing to say we believe in education it's another to bring students and have them actually work what are what are some of the benefits that you see from that uh, in your work on the school side of it well, as, as you were talking, I kept thinking, well, failure is not an option. Yeah. So when you think of career technical education as compared, and I'm I'm a traditional math teacher, I grew up, that was going to be my profession, and I caught the career tech bug and never let it go. Uh-huh. Um, but math class, the theory has, well, they failed. But when you're studying, let's say the student that's going to be reviewing this, Failure is not an option. There are certain skills they have to have. And if they didn't get them in training, you're going to keep trying and trying again until you get it right. And you're not going out until you've got it right. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's one huge benefit of career technical education. When I was talking to our um, one of our welding teachers over here, he made the comment, my students don't fail. I don't give them the opportunity to fail because if they don't get it right the first time, I'm going to show them how to do that weld again, whatever it is, and, and they'll keep trying it. So failure is not an option for these students, especially, again, when you're passionate about what you're doing. Yeah. Well, and if they actually like have to go out and do that thing for real, yeah. you know, yes. a, a weld that is not done right can have huge life changing consequences, life uh, destroying consequences. And so it, it really has to be done uh, the right way. And if it's not, then it literally people can die depending on the things that you're doing. And, and so it is, it is very real. Uh, all right. So let's talk a little bit about, um, about the, the bug that was planted in you uh, about a year ago, where you said that somebody questioned why we're afraid to ask for student feedback. Can you talk about that a little bit and what it's led to you 
understanding or figuring out now? Yeah, so um, last year I attended the National AASA Conference um, and one of the presenters, as you said, made the comment, um, why, are, why are we afraid to ask our students for feedback, for input? What are we afraid that they're going to say? Um, and since then, it's been swirling in my brain of whether it is a student giving feedback to a teacher, what am I afraid that they're going to say about me as the educator standing in front of the classroom? Um, and, and it kind of led to, why don't we ask them, how do you want to learn this? How are, how, how can we teach this better for you? Um, so I've, I've kind of gone down a rabbit hole with this and looking at our curriculum. As I said, we are, we serve 16 school districts. We are pretty much a school of choice. We know students that come here, they learn in different, they're very hands-on. They're studying welding, pre-nursing, cybersecurity. They're very hands-on. Um, but over the past years, that I've, as I've had a chance to talk to our academic instructors, our academic model didn't reflect what's happening in our career tech labs not necessarily hands-on. So the push has been, let's be project-based. Let's be inquiry-based. Let's let's change the way that we're teaching. We don't want the same old, same old. We know they love their labs. We want them to love the academic model as well. So two years ago, I went to our English teachers and I told them, I need your, I need your help with this. As we looked at the state of Ohio standards for 11th and 12th grade English language arts, uh, we brainstormed. How could we allow students to have more voice and choice while still covering this, these standards? So we provided students with a survey and they gave us some suggestions as, these are things I'd like to learn about. Uh, we whittled it down a little bit and started writing some curriculum. Now we have semester long courses, um, one of such as children's literature. It's mm. really cool. They have special speakers coming in writing their own uh, children's books. Um, we have, um, oh, inquiry passion projects. Um, some students are, are working on um, doing presentations about knitting and quilting, but all of these ELA standards are embedded in that semester long course. Um, the other opportunity that this gave for students that wanted to be able to leave during the school day, during their senior year, Having a semester-based model allowed them to double up on some credits so they could get out earlier during their senior year and spend the whole day out. So now I think we have about 20 students that don't even report on campus anymore. They are with an employer the full day because they took advantage of our flexible model for our the required academic classes. Yeah, so, interesting. So you had semester classes. What did you have before that? Were they just year full long. year? It was year English long. 11. English okay. 12, very, a very generic model of, yeah. of uh, the, yeah, the go-to standard. Okay. So the other thing about that is that these, this is a CTE school. So yep. those classes while still required are not really the emphasis or the point of why kids are going to the school. And uh, I'm not going to accuse anybody directly of this, but <laughs> in a lot of situations, these could very possibly become classes that nobody really cares about that don't don't get a lot of attention because after by 11th 12th grade you're not really testing in those classes anymore and they're they're not really important so it's kind of like a jump through this hoop to get it done 
And it sounds like that's not the approach that you're taking uh, anymore. If you ever were, I'm not accusing you of that. Don't worry. But <laughs> there could be that perception. I, I, I get what you say. Yes. As I was in the class, the math, uh, my math classroom, I would always say, I know you're not here to study math. Yeah. It's the most important thing to me, but I know it's not to you. Um, so you are absolutely right. Um, we wanted to make it more impactful. So students were more prepared when they leave and more engaged while they are here in those classes. Um, that was another benefit that we had of looking at this model. Um, so I started with English language arts this year. I focused on math and science. Um, really cool classes. And I, oh, social studies, the history of sports, um, the presidency. Um, what was the other one? There was one almost like a, the book of secrets. What's the movie? Um, oh, Nicholas Cage. You know what I'm talking about? Where he's, yes. he's following. Yes. National yes. treasure. Yes. National treasure. So talking about all the <laughs> secrets that come along with the government and what's true, what's not. These kids are still so creative and some of the suggestions they were bringing forth. We couldn't take all of them, obviously, but what we were to create with their feedback was was pretty cool, pretty cool. Okay, so so what I'm hearing you say is that you said, how do you wanna learn these things? We still have mm -hmm. to teach all these things uh, because we have these standards. And so instead of saying, here's a, uh, I don't know the right way to say this, but here's a, um, a curriculum focused well, maybe that is the right way to say it. Here's a standards focused class, which is English 11 and all the 11th grade standards. You said, here's a content focused class, which is all these things that you're interested about. And we're going to figure out how to make these things work with the standards. Is that a fair summary? That's wonderful. I'm going to use that. That's a wonderful summary. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> Excellent. I'm, I'm so good at this game. So one of the things that I've been working with districts for uh, the past couple of years on is what I call student driven learning. And the way that I phrase this is I say it's so much more engaging, fun for everybody involved, teachers and students alike, if the kids are working on things that they care about and the teacher is basically following them around, checking off which standards they have completed. Um does that sound uh, kind of like what you're trying to get at with this? Maybe a little broader sense, but. Yeah, similar, a little broader. Um, but I will tell you, um, speaking of the staff, this was a very scary thing for the team, for some, not all, um, because it is very much. I've got to learn with the students as we're developing these, for example, the children's literature class. The teacher that's teaching that like, oh my goodness, well, what do I do? I've got these, how cool is it to design it with the students as you're getting the, the feedback right there? You know the standards, you're an English teacher, you already know the standards. You're just going about it in a different direction. There was some apprehension, but they have done a great job of, of continually going back to the students. How can we make it better? better? Is this what you were, is this kind of, what you're feeling, are, are you are you getting what you need from this class? Um, so I do want to send a shout out to our teachers. They've done a great job of embracing this change. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. And I think there's a lot of um, a lot of benefit to that for the teachers as well. Um, mm -hmm. That it feels like it's more uh, uh, it's more real for them as well. That it's not like here's this novel that everybody reads in 11th grade and let's do this together. 
because in reality, the novel really isn't that important. And this is coming from a, a former English teacher who loves novels and reading and thinks that everybody should read certain key specific novels that are really powerful because they teach such good lessons. But at the same time, like you don't only get those lessons in those particular books. And that's, that's where the real beauty is, is that you can get those lessons from just about any book uh, in one way or another, even if it's with a negative example. And there's, there's some real power in that as well. Um, So what are some of the challenges that the teachers have faced with doing this? You mentioned that they like have to, you know, learn with the kids and that's challenging. What are some of the other things that they, that they're struggling with? Well, I'll be very transparent. As I said, we have two campuses. Um, We have really struggled with collaboration. It was two very separate and distinct, um, almost working independently of each other, getting that collaboration and getting them to actually have professional conversations about the content. How do you teach these things? What does it look like? just breaking down those walls of this is mine in isolation and now I'm sharing it with with this other team. Uh, That was probably our biggest hurdle, if I'm going to be really honest. Now that those conversations are flowing, again, we can always do better with more communication, more collaboration, but we're getting there. Mm -hmm. Um, We're getting there. That was one. The other, uh, another struggle, I would say, the concern of, well, is this changing? Are we changing courses every year? Are we going to go through this huge curriculum review every year? And just kind of putting their minds at ease. This process we just went through, I think as they're looking back, it was pretty fun. It was a lot of work, but it was, and I'm not an English teacher and I thought it was cool. I thought it was fun. Um, I'm a math person, so I never read so many English standards in all my life. I thought it was interesting. How are we able to kind of piece this together for them? And I think looking back now, they're getting better at realizing we have to be flexible. If we're so rigid, we're going to be right back in that same old, same old, same old, an English, the sit and get model, if we're not careful. Here's, here's a crazy question. What would it take for for students to sign up for English credits and mm-hmm. and basically say, here's when English is, I'm just going to take this, and then either be grouped in classes with uh, their, their peers who are interested in the same things uh, naturally, or so like, for example, let me explain that just a little bit better. So let's say that somebody's interested in this children's literature class and mm-hmm. They they want to do work study also, so they really need to have children's literature in the morning. But because the teacher is trying to teach so many different English classes that she can't just have, you know, children's lit in the morning. She needs to have it in the afternoon because that's when other kids are. Um, how do you how do you make that transition to where it almost doesn't matter when the kid takes the class that they can get what they need or what they want out of it in a powerful way. How do you manage that? Well, we're not there yet. Okay. Yeah. Let me, <laughs> I, I see the grin. We're not there yet. Um, but working there, 
again, the, the flexible scheduling, um, we're dipping our toe in right now to see what could that look like. Um, having some conversations, are there things that maybe an online resource or that they can take it over the summer? What blowing up the school day? Do we do something after, like have an after school hours, before school, before the first period bell? How can we be a little bit more flexible? Now you did, I didn't know if you were alluding to, uh, back in the day, we did have what was called applied academics, mm -hmm. which if you were in, let's say construction, all of those construction students went to every class together because the theory was they're all gonna have similar interests. So let's teach English or I taught, my construction students, how to do so many court, how many courses of concrete block does it take to build a building, blah, blah, blah. Um, so that was kind of busted up, I would say about 10 to 12 years ago, nah, 15, probably more like it. Um, students now, when we did a survey, uh, Dwight Carter, I know you know Dwight. Yep. Um, he's been on this he's podcast, been, I think twice. So yes, he's done some great things with climate and culture and um, really getting students feedback, a sense of belonging. And one of their big concerns for students was they didn't want to be identified by just their program, which in my mind was, I'm like, okay, that makes sense. I'm not just a construction student, so don't pigeonhole me and, and all of this. They wanted that freedom, that wanted that liberty to take all these different courses. So we're working on the scheduling. I don't have a final answer for you, but we're working. How can we be more flexible now that we've got, got all these different offerings? Yeah, that's really interesting. And I think that there's a lot of different things that you, that you can do. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I did as a principal in my school is we gave kids uh, time, what we called synergy time. And during synergy, you could do you could go to wherever you wanted to go. And the benefit of this was twofold. Number one, kids got to be doing something they were interested in. And number two, because it wasn't tied to any particular class or subject, teachers got two things. Number one, they got to do something that they were interested in also, which was a benefit. And not everybody got to do their thing, but a lot of them did. And then the second benefit was that because no teacher had a prep period during that time and we involved everybody in the school in being part of it, we actually got our student teacher ratio down from 28 students per teacher to just 13 students per adult, oh. which was amazing. And then teachers were able now that doesn't mean that everybody had that many kids in their class, but some people had even less than that. And one teacher in particular, she wanted lots of kids and wanted lots of projects happening in her classroom and she could handle it and like thrived in that chaotic environment and could keep everything straight. And so she had like 35 kids in her class and it totally worked because the ones who didn't want that many kids at once didn't have to have them. And the one or two who did could really handle that many kids. And so the principal, I took classes, the assistant principal took kids, the counselors all took kids, and then uh, paraprofessionals also took kids as mm -hmm. well. And so when, like with things like attendance and things like that, we had, you know, systems in place that a teacher of record had them, but really it was the, it was the other person who was in charge and, and did what needed to be done. And what was really fascinating about that is that all these kids had these opportunities to do things that they 
never had the opportunity to do before. And we found so many more standards that they accomplished because of that through different disciplines, through things that we didn't even teach in middle school, but that we taught in high school that we could pull down from there and say, yes, this kid knows these specific skills. And when we, when we took the label of a particular class off of it, then it gave a lot more flexibility and opportunity for them to cram a lot more learning into that time period. Um, Does that make sense? Absolutely. Uh, We're piloting something this year. So lots of bugs that we're working out. Um, We're calling them focus Fridays and there's about Mm -hmm. six of them. And it is, there are no classes on those days. It is, is, we have different sessions that you can attend. One of them was um, gratitude, how to show gratitude, a gratitude journal. They made a gratitude journal and social emotional health and learning. Um, I think they were doing some cooking classes that students not in culinary could come for a little session and learn to do something. And it was break out of the, the goal of these Focus Fridays were to expand learning, enrich learning, break it out of the traditional classroom setting. Teachers teach them how to knit. If someone wanted to mm. knit, show them how to do it um, and do different things. So again, we've got a lot of bugs, but I, I like the idea of your, I might have to pick your brain about that part a little bit. Yeah, for sure. We can we can certainly talk more. Uh, what's so cool about these alternative approaches to learning is that none of them say the standards don't matter. Mm-hmm. What they do say yep. that I think is really important is that the titles that we have for classes, those really don't matter. The um, The person who's teaching them still matters, but not as much as it did before. Like you don't, for example, with your knitting example, you don't have to have someone who's great at knitting be the one who is teaching that class because mm-hmm. there are a lot of alternative ways for kids to learn things. And Anytime I need to fix anything in my house or on my car, the first place I always go is to YouTube. And there are super nerds out there in whatever thing you want who can teach you how to do it probably better than anybody in front of you. So uh, my very first year teaching, I, I got hired two weeks before school started. And we had this advisory system in the middle school I taught at that um, that gave kids voice and choice. And it was it was cool. But it was like. 20 minutes at the end of two days. So you could never get very deep into anything. Um, The synergy thing that I created was closer to your focus Fridays, where we had three total hours uh, in the week and on two days so that kids could have time to go deep. So I get hired and they're like, Oh, by the way, school starts next week. And on the third day of school advisory starts and you you're doing an advisory on juggling And so you need to teach kids how to juggle. We had a lot of kids sign up for it. So, you know, do you know how to juggle? Because we could we could change it if you wanted. But do you know how to juggle? I said, I don't know how to juggle, but I'll do it. And I've always wanted to know how to juggle. So maybe I'll learn how to juggle, too. So the kids came in and I didn't know how to do it. And so I had to learn with them. And then we shared techniques. We looked up videos um, and that was before YouTube, really. So. We had to find other ways to find videos and, and activities and things. And so um, it, it was challenging, but it was really a lot of fun. And I built relationships with kids in a different way, which I think was the other added benefit that we don't talk about enough that when you're what you've been talking about this whole time of teachers learning how to figure this stuff out, 
they they have to have a different relationship with students than I'm the teacher. I know everything. And you're the student who is just an open vessel. And I'm just trying to cram stuff in there. Can you share some of the uh, benefits in the relationship building that teachers and students have experienced? Well, first off, I would say um, Brene Brown comes to mind, being vulnerable yeah, and just saying, hey, guys, we're going to do this together. Um, I, I haven't taught a children's children's um literature class before let's let's we're gonna do this let's do this um and don't be afraid to try things i think our students are excited about the courses because it is different it's something different if we don't try it we're never going to know if it works or if it doesn't seriously the focus friday we can't be afraid to put ourselves out there and so giving the staff the the freedom and the permission learn it go ahead it's okay um the other thing i think the students are more receptive i think they're really buying into the school is committed to me as a person as an individual they're they're investing in me um and then part of our, our our new strategic plan our values passion for learning what better way to model a passion for learning than to teach something maybe that's not your specialty maybe you're not good at mythology but hey i'm gonna let's let's learn it together here we go um accountability holding ourselves accountable um relationships we're in this together we truly are this is my first year teaching it that's this is your first year through this course let's let's make it happen let's see what what magic we can make um i i think it's really helped I'm going to attribute some of it to this. We have um, our first application round has just gone through and our applications are up by, I want to say a good 300 students that are applying wanting to get into our school. And I think because they're hearing the good thing, not just what we're doing academically, but I think they're hearing, Hey, these people are investing in, in the students. They're making some changes and doing some different things. Take a look at it. So. Yeah. I I think that's really cool. Um, So that piece right there, it speaks to the idea of what uh, Seth Godin, when I interviewed him on this podcast called enrollment, that instead of kids being engaged in school, we should want them to be enrolled in school, which means that they are actively working on being a part of that. And that it's not just Mm. a passive thing that they go through, that it's actually them taking responsibility for their learning, being in charge of their own learning and then using the adults and teachers around them as guides and supporters to, to help them figure these things out. Um, so I want to share something with you before I ask you my last question, which is um, the, the five stages of what I call student driven learning. And it starts here with voice and choice. And then you have genius ideas and voice and choice is like, giving kids voice and choice. That's pretty simple. Most of us know how to do that. Genius ideas means involving some sort of genius hour within the classroom. So the the real fulcrum, the change happens when you go to a school supported thing, like what you're talking about, which is these uh, focus Fridays that kids can have a system within the school that is supported for them to do the things that they're interested in. And then it gets to the next level, which is student initiated, where they're the ones who are like driving these things. And the adults are basically there saying, um, you know, we'll help figure this out and make it work. Um, And but we're going to follow your lead and do the things that you're really interested in. 
And then the the final level, which, which I think is just amazing, is where students are really driving it. And they're the ones who are like actually doing all the work and the teachers are no longer doing the planning and prepping and all that. They're basically uh, listening to what the kids are saying and saying, uh, here's how I can help. But this is your responsibility because it's your learning. And um, and it's hard to see schools at that level because it's hard for adults to give up that responsibility. Um, so what what would you say makes it possible for your teachers to relinquish uh, some of that responsibility so that they're willing to do the things that the kids are asking for? Lots of communication <laughs> and yeah. not a, a lot of the why behind it. Um, as I said, part of this was prompted uh, because we knew students loved our labs. Not 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 a big fan of, of academic, what was taking place in our school in terms of academics. And when we did a student survey, parent survey, even some of our business partners, the feedback we got was, how can you fix the academic stuff that's going on there? And mm -hmm. make, make it more engaging, make it more relevant, get students to be a part of it, give them the voice and choice. So I think how to get teachers there is just the, that open and honest communication with them because I shared it with them and I said this is what people say about our academic offerings about what's taking place academically at our school there was a lot of well surely there's good things taking place yeah yeah that doesn't mean there's not good things taking place but as you know the bad things the the squeaky wheel gets the oil you know, they just keep posting the bad stuff. That's what you're going to see most of. There's some good things taking place. Some of our teachers have really good relationships, but we really need to take a look at why are we teaching what we're teaching and how are we teaching it? Do students, does it even matter if a student comes and says, hey, can can I can I go and study this? How can we give them more of an opportunity to be an active partner yeah. instead of, as you said, just pouring into them? Yeah. Um, that would be one of the biggest, again, I just went into it with an honest conversation saying, here's, we are, here's where we are. Yeah. We need to change. Yeah. One of those, one of those questions that you, you hate being asked is, are you happy with your data? <laughs> and, yeah. and that, that really shines a light on what you are and are not doing well. And a lot of times we think we're doing something well and the data shows a different story and that kind of qualitative feedback data of how kids are feeling about what we're doing. Uh, it does matter. And it has an impact on how they talk about the school, how they uh, talk about their experience there and all that. So my final question for you, Shelly, is what is one thing that a principal can do this week to be a transformative leader like you? Hmm. Oh, one, one thing, try something new. Try Don't, don't, model it for your staff and show that it's okay. Maybe if you're not successful in the first try, but don't give up, keep, keep, how can I make it better? How can I make it better? You never really arrive there. So yeah. <laughs> be prepared to learn and grow. Yes, absolutely. I think that's great advice. And I, I have found for sure that, um, that there is no end to what we can learn and grow and get better at. There's no such yeah. thing as being perfect at something. We can always, get better. So I think that's Absolutely. great advice. Um, definitely something to model. Uh, well, thank you, Shelly, so much for being part of Transformative Principles. Great to interview you today and, and learn about all the cool things you're doing. 
Thank you. It was a wonderful conversation. Thank you. Thank you.